All right, well, good morning. Beautiful day out here. First off, before I get myself too sidetracked, let's just go through a couple of announcements because I promised Mindy I wouldn't forget. And I'm very likely to forget. So first off, um, as a reminder, next week we will actually be having two services. So we'll be having a 9 o'clock uh, service and a 10.30, just like what we used to do uh, before the whole world changed, only we will be conducting both of those services out here. Now, for the 10.30 service, we will be offering children's church for that service only. So if you're looking for children's church, just like we've done in the past, all the way up to 6th grade, That'll be taking place up in the church building while we're out here uh, meeting and worshiping together. So there'll be plenty of space for them to social distance to their little heart's delight in there in the building. Who knows what's going to get torn up while they do that. But uh, the children will be in there. So you'll be able to go in and check them in with the iPads just like what you had always done uh, previously. So that'll be next week. We'll have the start of Children's Church and two services. So that piece is exciting. Now then to accompany that, uh, our outside services, we will continue to have those till at least the end of this month. So at least through the end of June, we'll continue to meet out here uh, under the tent. And then uh, in the next coming weeks, we'll be making some announcements for what church is going to look like as some of the restrictions are lifted. More than likely, it's going to involve us uh, getting to go back indoors. And when we think about outdoor church in July, that's probably something to praise the Lord for. So uh, be, be continuing to look at the announcements and looking forward to that. So, in the meantime, uh, my name is Brock Ashley, for any of you that don't know me, and I uh, is, or I was, the assistant pastor here at Parkland Chapel until just about nine months ago when my wife and I were actually called away from this uh, ministry, not because we did anything bad, which some of you probably suspected, but in fact, we're, we were called away uh, to plant a church in the area that we came from five years ago in Charleston, Illinois. And so we are actually being sent out by you guys as a church plant. Uh, the church is going to be called Woodlawn Chapel because it's located on Woodlawn Drive in Charleston, and we're not that creative of people. And so we called it Woodlawn Chapel. So I'd like to tell you it was something more spiritual than that, but that's just the reality of it. So Woodlawn Chapel is going to begin, hopefully, uh, prayerfully, on September the 13th with our first Sunday service. Um, after being called out, uh, we actually purchased a building in December, uh, I didn't realize, because I'd never planted a church, you, you shouldn't actually buy a building before you have a congregation. Nobody <laughs> told me that until uh, my, my mentor, my pastor, didn't tell me that until after we bought the church. So thank you for letting me know that. But we have a building. Uh, the Lord has just blessed us in the last few months with actually a home located close to the church, just about a three-minute walk, so literally around the corner. Uh, and I told Angela, as, as the home came up on Zillow, and we've been praying, and Nothing, it seemed, came up that fit, you know, a family of eight into it. Uh, we were thinking about, we actually lost faith because uh, I felt like God had told me, find the church first, and then we'll find you a home that's located around the church so you can be a part of the community. And just nothing came up. And so we, we'd actually even put money down with an architect to just draw up a set of plans. We've, we've owned a lot for years and years, actually a decade, we've owned a piece of property. We're just supposed to, the Lord said, go build a house kind of ignoring what he told me in the first place. And as soon as we sent the deposit check off, uh, the next day this house popped up on Zillow. So uh, thankfully I got half of my deposit back and a really start to an awesome set of plans if anybody's interested. Uh, but the Lord provided a house just around the corner. And as I, we looked at it, I said, honey, this even feels like a parsonage, you know, that's it, the feel. And so as we, uh, as we put the offer in, it turned out it was actually a parsonage. So the first Baptist church uh, owned it, and so we actually bought it off the Baptists. So thank you, Baptists, for all your hard work and making the house look nice. And uh, we'll be uh, hopefully moving here in the next two weeks. So we're actually looking to, uh, to move two Sundays from today. But don't worry, we'll come back and visit you every now and again. We're going to be like a rash. It just sort of comes up, and you're not going to know where we Like, oh, where'd that come from? And you put a little cream on it, and it'll go away. Um, but... So that's what we're looking forward to doing. So September 13th is the first uh, service date. We do have a website, woodlawnchapel.org. So if you want to check that out, feel free to do that. Uh, we do have edits to make. Uh, thankfully, my wife is an English teacher, and she tells me all the horrible grammatical errors I make. So she has given me those edits. I've not uh, made those edits. So when you go on there and you notice commas are not in the right place or things don't uh, make sense, 
uh, that's my fault, not hers. So in the coming weeks, that will actually be corrected. But we do have a website, so uh, we're looking to, to begin you know, the process of letting people know where we're at and what we're up to. Uh, and then also part of my transition back was to, to begin work in the corporate office at Rural King. So we continue to have uh, weekly Bible studies there in the corporate office. We're really seeing a lot of changes uh, culturally and corporately. It's, it's not the fastest thing to change a corporate culture, uh, but we're beginning to see some of the fruits of that. And uh, here in the next few weeks, I'm really I'm excited about a program that we've got uh, that we'll be able to announce that if I, if I announce it completely, I'll get in trouble. But it is going to be a way for your local store and local stores all over the 14 states to actually give money back to churches and congregations that are hurting. And so it's a first fruits campaign that we're actually hoping to give away. Uh, it would be really awesome if we give away a couple million dollars. So we're looking forward to being able to do that and give that back. And so those are things that just don't happen in corporate America, um, but they're beginning to happen. And so we're happy to be you know, on the forefront of that. All right. That being said, uh, with Angela and I coming here five years ago, being, uh, at least for me, being as far away from the Lord as I possibly could be, uh, being pretty, uh, really, really, you know, just apathetic about anything to do with church, what we've seen in our five-year run here at Parkland Chapel is really a rebuilding of our lives. Like we have seen from the ground up, torn down to the foundation, and a rebuilding. And so with that said, as we you know, have been journeying through the Bible, uh, the spot that kind of stopped me and what I wanted to talk to you guys about today, if you want to turn your Bible to Nehemiah chapter 4. And so where we're going to be in the fourth chapter of Nehemiah is a spot where, where he is going back to the city of Jerusalem to rebuild the walls of a city that had been decimated by sin. And so a little bit of an introduction as you're making your way uh, to the book of Nehemiah uh, if, you, if you had your bookmark in Isaiah, just go to the left a little bit, and you'll find it. Is What we find is it's actually a continuation of the book of Ezra. So if you had a Hebrew Bible, you would look in there, and Ezra and Nehemiah are actually all smushed together because they are one book. And these are what are known as post-exilic books. Uh, that's a fancy way to say they happened after the exile. So the nation of Judah was taken away captive off to Babylon because of their lack of belief, because of their sin, because of their idolatry. And they spent 70 years there in Babylon until the time of a guy that actually in a few weeks you're going to see prophesied about in Isaiah, a king named Cyrus was spoken of that he would send the people back to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. So that is, uh, in fact, what takes place at the beginning of the book of Ezra with a guy named Zerubbabel. He took about 50,000 people back with him uh, to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. Now then, about 50 years later, what we see is Ezra then taking another group of people uh, to Jerusalem, and this time their focus is on the temple, which was still in utter ruins. And so Ezra goes back, and he goes back with the focus on the temple, and he takes a few thousand people with him. Now then, as we get to Nehemiah, what we see is his focus is going to be on the walls of the city. And so the temple's been rebuilt, but the walls still lay in ruin. Now, for Nehemiah, uh, as a job, as an occupation, he was actually the cupbearer to the king. And what that meant is he would uh, bring the king his wine, and he would actually uh, taste it to see if there's any poison in it. If there was any poison, sorry, Nehemiah, you're dead, and we're looking for a new cupbearer. And so this is the position that he held, but it also meant that he had uh, access to the king, right? He, he had a lot of close personal time face-to-face -face with the king of the entire known world, by the way. This king was named Artaxerxes. He was over 130 provinces. Basically, everything that was known, he was the king over it. Now, Nehemiah was also a Hebrew. He was a Jew, but he was born in Babylon in captivity. But when he got a report back in the beginning of the book of Nehemiah that the walls were still torn down of the city, he was burdened by this story. He was heartbroken. Because what he knew was physically, practically, the walls of the city meant that they had no way to defend themselves against the enemy. That they were just open game for anybody to come in and steal and plunder from them at will. And so the walls meant protection. They had no gates, which meant anyone that wanted to come in and out could just come in and out freely. And in fact, when you think about this from a spiritual standpoint, when we get to Isaiah chapter 60, as Mike goes through this, Isaiah says there in chapter 60, verse 18, that your walls are salvation 
and your gates are praise. And so what we see is spiritually what this actually means for us in our lives as we talk about rebuilding lives is that with the walls, the walls being erected and being constructed, this is actually salvation, right? And then in the gates, as the gates are hung, there, this is a spot where we're able to praise him for it because now all of a sudden where we didn't have control over what comes in and what goes out, now through the gates we can actually have control over these things. And now I point all this out to also mention to you that the name Nehemiah in Hebrew actually means comforter. If you think, fast forward all the way to the New Testament, you think about names, the name comforter, what does that actually reference? That's the Holy Spirit. And so as we look at types in the Bible in our Old Testament, Nehemiah is a type of the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit actually does is he helps from a salvation standpoint to recreate, rebuild walls that have once been torn down and decimated. And then he sets the gates. What's the Holy Spirit remind us of as we let things in that shouldn't be let in? Whoa, whoa, what are you letting through the gate there, big boy? Keep an eye on things. He also controls what goes out, what goes out of the gate of our mouth. And so these are the things uh, that we're going to be looking at today. Uh, and lastly, I want to share with you a quote before we get in after the world's longest introduction. Um, is, this is actually from the ladies' Bible study a few years ago that my wife and Sarah Hand led. And this was a quote from a, 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 an author named Rebecca Lyons. And what she said, and this has stuck with me for the last few years, is that where your burden and your talent collide, there you find your calling. And so where your burden and your talent intersect, where those things collide, in this spot is where you find your calling. Now, there may be many of you here this morning, you feel like you don't know what your calling is. Uh, there may be some of you that you don't even uh, know what your, what your uh, burden really is. And so the first thing to ask is, Lord, what, what, what kind of things burden my heart? What things, when I hear about, break my heart? These things bother me all the way down to my core. That's your burden, right? When you hear stories about things, and, and I, by the way, folks, look around. There's plenty of things to be heartbroken about right now, right? So these are things to be burdened about, burdened over. But then the, the always go-to is, well, I don't have any talent, right? I don't have any talent. If I just had a talent, maybe I could do something about it. Well, let me just ask you this. What was Nehemiah's talent? Does anybody know? He was a cupbearer to the king. This dude's a bartender. His talent is he's a glorified bartender, and he's the worst bartender ever because he's drinking the drinks before he even serves them to people. Now, there's some of you thinking about your past. You go, listen, if it's a talent to be a bartender, I might be in the Hall of Fame based on how I've lived. Hey, I'm one of you, right? So this is his talent. And yet, the, 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 another word for talent you could look at would be ability. So what is Nehemiah's ability? I would suggest to you that his greatest ability is availability. We don't often want to think about that as being an ability, but the, but the truth is that might be the most important ability that we have right here as the Christian church. The biggest thing we can be is we can be available for people. Nehemiah made himself available for people to come in and share their problems. They came in and said, listen, the walls of the city are destroyed. He made himself available. And then through availability, the next piece that Nehemiah has is he has access. He has access to the king. For any of you here that believe in Jesus as your savior, let me tell you, you have access. You have access to things that people have no idea. The world around you does not understand the access to the king that you and I possess. So that being said as the backdrop, let's begin in Nehemiah chapter 4. And we're going to read these first few verses. Nehemiah 4 verse 1 through 3 says this, But it so happened when Samballot heard that we were rebuilding the wall that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. Verse 2, And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria, and he said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? And now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he, and he said, Whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break it down. And so what we see is for Nehemiah, he left a place of comfort. He left his position there next to the king as a resident of the kingdom, in this case of Persia. 
But as we think about this to our lives, what we are called to do is leave a place of comfort that we could have and go out to the area where people need help. He was called to rebuild lives. Now, the next thing we notice is as soon as he begins to rebuild, what happens? The enemy comes up against him, right? And so oftentimes we can think that, that if we're called into doing something, that, that the road will be paved easily. And let me tell you, if you're called into something, the first thing that's going to happen is you're going to get attacked by the enemy. And that's exactly what takes place here for Nehemiah. And what do they attack him with? Well, the, the first they start with name-calling. They call them feeble, right? They say, listen, what are these feeble Jews doing? The reality is they were feeble, right? They didn't have any great and tremendous strength. The next thing they, they mention is that they were, in fact, unqualified, right? And how do they say this? They say, look, uh, Tobiah the Ammonite says, whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break it down. What are they saying? You don't know how to actually build a wall. You can't construct anything of any real merit or value, because even if a little fox gets up on it, it's going to knock it down. They were questioning their qualifications, and, and if we're not careful, this is the spot we stop. We realize that we are completely and totally feeble, and we are unqualified, and we quit. And let me tell you that the person sitting up here talking to you right now is completely and utterly unqualified to teach you the Word of God. I have a degree in civil engineering from the University of Illinois. Uh, let me just uh, inform you in case you don't know, that ain't no master's in theology, Right? I don't know what I probably should know about the Bible. And if I'm not careful, I catch myself questioning my own qualifications. Listen, I'm not qualified to get up here and teach this book to you people. Many of you know it far better than I do. The truth of the matter is, when I was asked to teach the Bible in the, first, the first time after I'd been called into ministry in January of 2017, I just finished reading the Bible in December of 2016, right? You, didn't, you can't get more unqualified than that guy. But if you are worried too much about your qualifications, the problem is we forget about our qualifier. You see, the Holy Spirit is the one that comes in and, and through impartation, He's the one that actually indwells us and through us, He speaks. That's the piece that makes us qualified. And for that example, I'm going to turn to the book of Acts chapter 2. And as the early church is just beginning uh, to be started, the birth of the new church is beginning there, and, and all the disciples are gathered in the upper room. And in Acts chapter 2, this is the spot where we see the day of Pentecost take place. And right before verse 7, we, we find that the Holy Spirit actually comes down and indwells the people, right? The, the fire of the Spirit, this uh, dunamis power, this dynamite power that Jesus talked about comes upon them. And rests upon them. And they begin to speak in tongues. But then look in verse 7 what is said about them. And then they were all amazed. This is all the people around. And marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? Now you could pass over that verse and, and not really stop and ponder that for a second. But in reality, what they were saying is, These people are a bunch of hillbillies. right? The, the area of Galilee are a bunch of uneducated fishermen they are not from Jerusalem. This is the epicenter for, for all biblical understanding, right? All the great rabbis are in Jerusalem. These people sound like a bunch of hillbillies. So when Peter gets up to talk and he says, uh, men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, the reality is it sounds like men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem. That's what it sounds like. The, the, these guys... What place do they have? And yet, because of the Holy Spirit that came upon them, Peter was able to preach the Word of God uninhibited. And so, this is what the enemy wants to, to question. He wants to question our qualifications. Now then, let's look at Nehemiah's response in verse 4. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to the land of captivity. Verse 5, do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. And so Nehemiah's immediate gut response and the first thing he does is he goes to the Lord in prayer. I wish I could say that every time the enemy comes up against me and wants to question me that my immediate reaction is prayer. But unfortunately, the reality is I grew up at the racetrack 
And the last thing we did was we usually prayed for forgiveness after we punched you in the face. That's the truth. And for many of us, that's the case, right? Our, our immediate reaction is they have come up against me. I need to defend myself physically. I had a, my dad had a good friend, a guy named Dan Burke, and Dan passed away from a heart attack a few years ago. But, but Dan loved Jesus, but he also had a quick temper, and he was one of these racetrack kind of guys. But he would, wear, he would wear a WWJD bracelet back when those were popular, if you remember those, though. What would Jesus do? And there was a particular story that it goes that Danny was, was getting in an argument with somebody, and he was getting a little bit upset, and he was a bigger guy, and he got more and more upset. And, and the guy said, well, WWJD, Dan, what would Jesus do? And Dan's response was, I don't know what Jesus would do, but I'm going to jump across this table and whoop your hiney. Right? And only Danny didn't say hiney, unfortunately. We had to clean that up a little bit. But, but the reality is that's many of us, right? When, when the enemy comes up against us, our immediate reaction is, I don't know what Jesus would do, but I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Now, was Nehemiah's prayer the most beautiful? No. In fact, it was one of the, this is one of these Old Testament prayers we like. Right? Lord, smoke them. Lord, take them out. But here's the thing. While it might be brutal, Jesus can handle it. Right? There are a lot of prayers that we pray that are probably not for other ears to hear. But God wants us to be truthful. He wants us to come to him and be honest. And what Nehemiah also knew, notice with me, what he points out to the Lord, he says, uh, let not their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked who to anger? Provoked you to anger. He puts this back on the Lord. He says, listen, Lord, you called us to this rebuilding project. Now these guys have come up against you. And this is the place we can turn. When you've been called into it, you can turn your enemies back to the Lord. Say, listen, Lord, remember what you promised. Anybody here know Jesus as their Savior? By the way, anybody? Well, there's like two people. Okay, we should probably change the message. This is going to turn into hellfire and brimstone. All right, so hopefully a few of you know Jesus as your Savior. If you do, do you realize that you now have authority? That what Ephesians chapter 2, verses 5 and 6 says is that we have been placed at the right hand of the Father in Jesus Christ. In Jesus, we've been placed next to the King. He's not the president of presidents. He's the King of kings. Nobody elected God, God. You understand? So you now have authority that you can exercise over these things. But far too often when we react with our fists, we now lower ourselves and remove ourselves from a place of authority. That's important for us to remember. Nehemiah knew it well, and he immediately went to the Lord in prayer. Now then, let's continue in verse 6. And so we built the wall. The entire wall was joined together up to the half of its height, for the people had a mind to work. God gave them a mind to get back to work. They didn't stop after this distraction and just quit. And what the enemy wants to do to us so often is he wants to distract us. He gets us all upset with what's going on over here, that we, we're dealing with this and we forget about the work. And for Nehemiah and his gang, they remember, listen, we still got work to do and the people had a mind to go to it and get to work. Oftentimes the work that the Lord has given us is the thing we need to take our mind off of the enemy and what he's trying to do to us. Next in verses 7 and 8, Now when it happened, when Samballot and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were being closed in, that they became very angry. I love that old King James, they became wroth, right? And all of, that, and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. The next thing the enemy wants to do if he cannot distract us is he wants to confuse us, right? And the truth of the matter is, and this is not the most popular thing to hear, but the good news is you don't have to hear from me next week, is that if you are not under attack, it's very possible you ain't doing anything. That's not the most popular thing to say, but it's true. If you're not coming under some kind of attack from the enemy, you're probably not any kind of threat to the enemy. And so it's difficult at times to actually uh, uh, get excited about these things, but they have made the enemy very angry because of this rebuilding project, and their desire is to create confusion. 
And what I mean by that is, this is an interesting thing to point out, is that the very walls that Nehemiah was called to build in order to stave off an attack actually caused an attack. That the walls that he was called to build actually caused the enemy to want to come up and attack him. But long term, down the road, think about how much better off they're going to be as they grow in their faith as they continue to build these walls. Now then, in verse 9, we see the reaction again by Nehemiah. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. And so once again, for the second time, Nehemiah's reaction was to pray, but he didn't just stay there. He didn't just pray and forget about it. He prayed, and they set a watch. So what Nehemiah did is they put feet to their faith, right? Oftentimes we can be, and I've been told this as a kid growing up, just pray and forget about it. Well, in this spot, Nehemiah said pray and keep an eye on things, right? And a better example perhaps is in the book of Exodus. In Exodus chapter 14 is Moses is bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt. And they've got the Red Sea in front of them. They've got the enemy now chasing them down from behind, and they've got the mountain on the other side. They are literally hemmed in on every side. This is the spot Moses is in. And Moses falls down on his knees, and he lifts his hand, and he cries out to the Lord, right? Seemingly, this is the thing to do, and it was a great idea. But how does God respond? Get up! Get a move on! Get going! Get off your knees! Reach out your staff! cross the Red Sea, and then watch for deliverance. <laughs> so the part we forget is the get up and the get going. And this is what Nehemiah knew. He got up and he got going. And for Moses and his group, notice that it wasn't until they put feet to their faith that they got to see salvation, right? They see the actual salvation after they get across the Red Sea. They have enough faith to cross the impossible and just in time to turn around and go, Oh, look at that. The Lord just wiped out our enemy, right? Now, could he have wiped out the enemy beforehand? Absolutely he could have. But in doing that, do they actually grow in their faith? No, they do not. And so this is a piece of this is, that is difficult, and we might not want to always go back and repeat those challenging things, but the truth of the matter is, as we grow in our faith and as we work through these challenges, when we can turn back, this is the place where our faith actually grows. And we can turn around and we can see salvation behind us. Oh, Lord, look at how you protected me. You wiped out my enemy, but only after I had enough faith to take a step and to move forward. Now, lastly, night and day is where Nehemiah set a watch. Night and day. Oftentimes we can pray, we can set a watch, but then we forget to keep the watch set. Lord, I'm going to pray. I'm going to keep an eye on this thing. He's speaking specifically to accountability. We have to continue to be accountable. It's not, it's not a set it and forget it like that oven you set for your roast at home, right? We got to pray and set a watch or that bad boy's probably going to burn up. By the way, did you set the timer? No, you didn't? Okay. Ours is going to be burnt. Uh, but, but the point is we, we got to continually set a watch for accountability, now continue with me in verse 10. And then Judah said, The strength of the laborers is failing. There is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. And so the tribe of Judah is the lead tribe for these people. Judah is always the one that leads them into battle. Does anybody know what the name Judah means, though? It means praise, right? So praise has stopped. And see, for, for so many times for us, when the enemy comes up against us, what's the first thing that, that cuts off? What's the first thing that just shuts down? Well, we cannot praise. I can't even utter a word of praise. And this is what had happened. And then look with me. What did they mention there in verse 10? They said, there is so much rubbish that we cannot build the wall. But who called it rubbish? That was up here in verse 2. That was Samballat, the enemy who, by the way, his name means thorn in flesh. He's the one that called it rubbish. God never said it was rubbish. So now they begin to believe the lies of the enemy. And this is the next spot we find ourselves in. We begin to listen to those whispers that say, listen, what you've done is too bad. 
The things you've done, the things you've thought, the places you've gone, the places you've been, this is too much for God to be able to use this rubbish. And the fact of the matter is, when we begin to believe that, we don't share that with others, and then our testimony is a thing that never gets to go out. If you've ever been the part of the Wednesday night prayer nights and the testimonies, let me just tell you, it's the most powerful thing that happens here at Parkland Chapel. I can only hope that in the next few years we're able to do something similar to that. I'd like to tell you the most powerful thing that happens is the unbelievable preaching. Uh, Mike's is really good. Uh, so far you've seen how this goes. Um, but the reality is it's those testimonies. What Revelation chapter 6 says, it's the blood of the Lamb and the power of the testimony that stops the enemy dead in his tracks. This is the thing that if we don't share and we don't talk about these things uh, in and amongst each other, he wins, you see? Because what, what we might view as rubbish way back there, what 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 says is that we are, in fact, living stones. He's taking these burnt pieces, these things that the world sees as wasteful and rubbish, and he's actually building us up. It's, these are living stones for what? For the temple of God. <laughs> That's pretty amazing, right? That seems like a worthy building material to me. All right, let's continue on in verse 11. And our adversaries said, they will neither uh, know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. And so now what we see is now the praising has stopped and they are at their lowest point and this is the place where the enemy is setting up for attack. This is why praise in our life is so vital. Even when we don't feel like it, even when it's a struggle to get it out, this is the most important time to praise because this is the low point, if not, that we get to and, and we are setting ourselves up for attack. In verse 12, and so it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came and they told us ten times, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Over and over again, they kept hearing the stories. If you turn, they're going to be there. If you turn, they're going to be there. And guess what happened? They were never there. This whole time, they were warned about all these attacks that were going to come over and over and over again. And they'd convinced themselves to the point they were terrified. They were having panic attacks about things that never happened. How many times have we been stopped because of things we've created in our own mind? Whispers from the enemy of all these ways he's going to attack us. Oh, he's going to come at me over here. Oh, he's going to come at me from over there. And then guess what? It never stinking happens. We get ourselves boxed in our own little world. We can't even do anything because we're, we're stricken with panic of things that never occur. And this is the place Satan wants us. Now then, let's continue with verse 13 as we see what Nehemiah does. And therefore, I position men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families and their swords and their spears and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the leaders and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your houses. So Nehemiah positioned them in the low places. He positioned them also with their families. Notice what he did not do. He did not just sit back and wait. Go, oh, Lord, you just got to deal with it. I can't do nothing. He didn't just sit back as a pacifist and wait. Right? And, and notice he also didn't crack under pressure and go the other way. Lord, let's, let's take up arms and go after them. Let's get them all. Let the Lord sort them out. No, he positioned them in low places to be ready, to be prepared. He set them in places where he knew they had weak spots in the wall. And he positioned them together with their families, right? He positioned them with their families, folks. This is our family. He's positioned us together. According to the government, sitting entirely too close. But he's positioned you together in your families to protect the low places. Now, many times, these are the spots that we don't really want to talk about. We don't really want to be vulnerable to one another. But the reality is, is if we make ourselves vulnerable to ourselves, 
we are protected against the enemy. I'll repeat that. If we make ourselves vulnerable to ourselves, we will be protected against the enemy. This is what he does not want us to do. This is why when we meet together in small groups in someone's homes and we can actually uh, dine together and we can fellowship together and we can get to know one another, we become a family unit where we can stand shoulder to shoulder and I can say, listen, I know what you're dealing with. You've told me about your low places. You've confessed ye one to another. And and I can stand beside you and go, brother, I'm going to stand with you in this thing. I can tell you're struggling. If anybody knows anything about my story, you know that alcohol has been a struggle. And so I hope that you would know me well enough, some of you, that if you see me at Colton's saddled up on a stool with one of those gigantor Michelob golden drafts in front of me, you go, man, do I love him enough to go talk to him? Because oftentimes what I fear, at least for me, is I love you enough to pick up the phone and call somebody and go, boy, You wouldn't believe what I saw Brock doing. Boy, we need to pray for him. We need to pray. Folks, that's not help. That's gossip. What it takes is the courage, the guts, the chutzpah to actually go up to someone. Because guess what? It's just as uncomfortable for the person going to speak to you as it is for you and your struggles. Probably more so. There couldn't be any more uncomfortable thing than that. But it all starts at least in my experience, for me, is I started off by going, listen, you know I love you. I love you. But I want to talk to you about this thing because I don't want to see you suffer anymore in this low place. And this is the spot where the walls can actually begin to be rebuilt, where the low places can be fortified. And this is what Nehemiah knows. He positioned people together with sons and daughters and wives and in their houses to care for one another. And the reality of all this too is we are not fighting against flesh and blood, right? We have to arm ourselves with with the, the tools because we're not fighting against each other. We are fighting what what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Uh, I'll read it so I don't misquote it. Probably got some Trump fact checkers out there waiting for me to mess up. Verse 12 says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Folks, look around. What's taking place, these are not attacks just from man. Right? They're fleshing themselves out as people, but the, but the truth is they are powers and principalities and rulers, and we need to be armed spiritually to fight them off. Let's continue with verse 15. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. That when the enemy heard that the plot was brought to nothing, guess what? We got back to work. It's time to get back to work. Now then, do you, does anybody know the fruits of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. I probably missed one. One of those slipped in there in the middle from Galatians 5 is patience, also called long-suffering. I never thought about this until just recently. Do you realize that if long-suffering and patience is a fruit of the Spirit, that also means Satan don't got it. He doesn't have the fruits of the Spirit, right? Those are for us. Those are through the Holy Spirit. So therefore, he is not long-suffering. He is not patient. Where, where What I'm saying is if we are long-suffering, if we are patient, it's just what we read here when our enemy heard that God has brought their plot to nothing, they went away and we were able to return to work. And that second piece is critical because lots of times we can get excited about weathering the storm. And don't get me wrong, it's wonderful to weather a storm. We should all celebrate weathering storms and getting through storms and it's fantastic, but it's not enough to just weather the storm. We got to get back to work because if we don't, he still wins, you see? We're not just here to survive these things. We're here to continue to go to work. 
a few years ago, I had some, some health challenges and was in the hospital for a short period of time and, and was able to come out of that. And just about a month later, uh, my oldest daughter, Cameron, had a sore throat. And so mom made her a glass of hot tea, and uh, she did that. And, and just as she sat down at the table to drink her glass of hot tea, she dumped it all over herself, scalding hot, all the way down her stomach and down her leg. And this was on a Tuesday night. Now, I was teaching, supposed to teach the next Wednesday evening. Now, because I'm a procrastinator completely to my core, I always waited till Tuesday night to get ready what I was going to talk about on Wednesday night. So, so here I am instead on Tuesday night in the ER, not preparing a message, not getting anything ready. And my daughter has second-degree burns over her stomach and her leg, right? Attacks from the enemy that happened. And so we did weather that storm, and at 2 o'clock in the morning, we got back home, and I had nothing prepared. And Mike was gracious enough to call me and say, listen, bro, if you need me to jump in and teach, I'm glad to get up there and do it for you. And boy, everything in my being wanted to say, please get up and teach. And yet, for whatever reason, I think I'm just dumb enough to keep going. God made me an ox. Just keep plowing. Uh, I was able to, to get through the message. Now, none of you probably remember that message. Uh, it was probably absolutely awful. Uh, but the reality is th the real victory is just in plowing straight rows, just continuing the work, just showing up, right? So many times we get in the middle of a storm, and, and he gets us all off track, and we don't even want to show up. Like, really? I'm going to go to church under a tent? Really? I got to put a pop-up tent up? I mean, come on. It's so easy to just not show up. When we're wrecked on the inside, and we're like, God, I want to be any place but around people. There is great victory in just showing up. So be encouraged by that. All right, we're about on the home stretch, I promise. Verse 16. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held spears and the shields and the bows and wore armor and the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. And those who were built on the wall and, and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that one hand they worked at construction and with the other hand they held a weapon. And every one of the builders that had his sword girded by his side and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And so what we see is Nehemiah has put a call to the people to take a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other, right? With one hand, they were to do the work. And here, in this spot, the trowel represents obedience, right? Just the obedience of continuing to do the work. And in that, we see fruitfulness. In our obedience, in what we just talked about, that just showing up, we see the fruitfulness in our lives, right? The wall continued to go up and get erected because they just continue to go to work. And this is exactly what we've been called to do. Jesus says in John 15, 16, you've been called to bear fruit, right? We've been called as builders of walls to go and bear fruit. And then secondly, we see the sword. And the sword here is our only offensive weapon throughout the Bible. And it's an important one because Hebrews chapter 4 says that it's the word of God. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, rightly dividing the soul from the spirit. It's not one for, for just chopping people at their flesh. This thing is there for spiritual battles. And this is what Nehemiah is saying. This thing is going to build the kingdom. Then in verse 19, And I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, The work is great and extensive. And we are separated far from one another on the wall. And whenever you hear the, the sound of the trumpet, rally to us, and our God will fight for us. They had to get creative on how to communicate. Anybody here gotten creative on how to communicate as the enemy's caught up against you lately? Right? We've had to get creative on how we communicate. Sometimes we're out there just... Anybody? Zoom? Go-to-meeting? Anybody? Yes, right, let's FaceTime. We had, they had to get creative to communicate, to come alongside one another. But whatever, whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, know this, that God will fight for us. Even though we had to get creative, it's important to note God is fighting for us. And so in verse 21, we labored at the work, and half the men held spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. At the time, I said to the people, 
Let each man and his servant stay at night in Jerusalem, that they may be our guard by night and a working party by day. So neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor my men of the guard who followed took off their clothes, except everyone took them off for washing. And so what we see is that the work of rebuilding lives. Let's not be bashful about this. It is work. It is gonna, it's going to involve us getting in and getting dirty. But night and day, Nehemiah and his men prepared. They kept themselves prepared. We have to keep ourselves sharp in these days. And, and because of that, because of that, in 52 days, Nehemiah and his men did the impossible. What they could not accomplish in 100 years, what the enemy could not believe is that in 52 days, the walls are rebuilt, right? And so what we find out by this is nothing is impossible when we are obedient to the Holy Spirit. When we are obedient to the Comforter. When we listen to Him and His direction, nothing is impossible. Many of us have people that we know, maybe it's our own lives, perhaps it's others. Oftentimes it's a combination. I'm still working at rebuilding this thing myself. That, that we look at this thing and go, boy, that's impossible. Like, Lord, we know you can raise the dead, but not too sure about that guy. Right? We, we get this in our head, but the reality is that through the leading of the Holy Spirit, the empowering of it, the, the, the work night and day, there is no such thing as impossible. Right? And this is the reason, at least for my wife and I, we are called to go to a people who are, are literally decimated. All around the apartment buildings behind us, it's trash, it's junk, it looks awful it looks like rubbish but the reality is there are some stones in there to be built for the kingdom of god that's the thing that makes it worthwhile now does it mean that there's going to be a mess absolutely Uh, mike shared a few years ago that if you're in the stalls and there's oxen in the stalls guess what goes with the oxen poop right kids you can laugh it's okay there's going to be some poo in the stalls you're going to get some on you Right, you're gonna if 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 they don't make a mess of you, if you're anything like me, I'm liable to mess myself in the middle of all of it. Right? You're gonna get messy. And yet what does Nehemiah say they did is that they were able to go to the water and wash their clothes. They continue to work day and night, and yet the water of the word is what Ephesians five twenty six tells us that we are to go and wash ourselves in. It's what you all are doing right now as you're sweating out here under the tent. You're washing yourselves in the water of the word. Let me encourage you as you're involved in rebuilding of your own lives and those around you continue to wash your clothes in the water of the word of God. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you for this wonderful message of rebuilt lives, of rebuilt walls, and what it means that if Nehemiah can go into a place that was utterly decimated then so can you by the holy spirit our comforter lord you are the one that we need we need you now we need you in this place lord i love the fact that that the band sang the joy of the lord is my strength and they had no idea we were teaching out of the book of nehemiah and that verse is in nehemiah chapter 8 lord it tells me that you want this message to go forth for me for the people that are here that we're set to receive it, Lord, let them receive it. Let it sink down in their hearts and in their minds, Lord. Let us be encouraged to this day that the enemy, he is not patient and he is not, he does not possess the fruits of the Spirit. He cannot be long-suffering. No way, no how. So, Lord Jesus, we lift up this congregation. Thank you for these people. Thank you for Parkland Chapel and what you're doing. In Jesus' name. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believed will not perish but they shall have eternal life 
shall hold to the cross. I shall hold to God alone, for his love has salvaged me. For his love has set me free. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes will not perish, they shall have eternal life. So love the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believed will not perish, they shall have eternal life. They shall, they shall have eternal life. Okay, praise the Lord. So questions for this week. I'm new at making up questions, so these are probably not good, but I'm going to give them to you anyway. Uh, first question is, what burdens me or what breaks my heart? And this, this second one, I actually made three questions into the first question, which shows you how new I am at this. Uh, what areas, and be honest, am I talented, and where do these two collide? Second question, are there low spots that I have in my walls that I need people around me to help me be accountable. And then thirdly, is there an area in my life I'm convinced can't be rebuilt because it's been too long? Am I willing to ask for help to give it one more try, this time with a trowel and a sword? So that's the questions for this week. Those are actually out there on uh, parklandchapel.org. Uh, so if you want to download those, uh, please go out there and do that. Thank you guys for sitting through that. Sorry I went a little bit long. Uh, but God bless you guys. Have a good day.